Welcome to Visionaries Global Media, your number one source for podcasting entertainment. Visionaries Global Media, envisioning excellence on a global scale. Hello, greetings, guten tag, or however else you might say hello, and welcome to VFTR 2.0. I am Chad, coming to you from my living room, and I am joined today by the co-host with the mostest, my good buddy, we call him around here, Big Baby Daddy Diesel. And I am joining you from Diesel's Dapper Dungeon of Delight. And the sun is shining through right now. So, I mean, it was storming a minute ago, but now it's sunny. It's supposed to be off and on. So, it's dapper all the time down here in this dungeon, though. Yeah, the storms are definitely about to roll through where I live. So, it's going to get dark. And then it'll probably get light again. And then it'll get dark again. Because, as he said, off and on storms all day. But uh, how you doing today, Diesel? I am doing A-OK. I watched a lot of wrestling over uh, the weekend, and I'm excited to talk about some of this wrestling that we watched. Yeah, we also had the Insane 8 this weekend. Quick shout-out to ICW Milwaukee. Once again, the craziest deathmatch tournament of the Midwest happens once a year, and they didn't disappoint this year. It was fucking wild. And uh, shout out to Purchase Commentary. Sure, it was great. Yep. Yep. Aaron Dillinger was the winner, defeating Oren Vite in the finals. And yeah, check it out on Fight TV. It was live from Waukesha, Wisconsin, and we were there. And I don't know, you might be able to hear us on commentary because during the last match, we were standing right next to Perch. We were. We were digging his commentary. But yeah, we're not going to go deep into that tonight. But do make sure you order on Fight TV. Well worth the watch. Lots of blood, lots of light tubes, lots of crazy shit. So if you like it, like that kind of stuff, check it out. But let's just uh, not fuck around. Let's just get right into the show. Jump into our first segment and only segment this week, which is hashtag TRT. Otherwise known as Top Rope Topics. So, this past weekend, we had a lot of wrestling, and Diesel and I both enjoyed a lot of wrestling. So, Diesel, what's our first topic we're covering? We're going to talk about SummerSlam. And I know last week I mentioned that I was only going to watch SummerSlam if I heard that it was good, and maybe check it out later, but that wasn't the case. I decided on Saturday night, I didn't... I wasn't doing anything, and I'm paying for Peacock, so it's like, what the hell, you know? So I watched it on delay. I started a little late, which pissed me off because halfway through the main event, it, the feed cut out because the show was over, and Peacock is stupid and takes it off right away, and you have to wait for a replay. So then I had to go and pirate the end of the show, even though I paid for it. Stupid. But I was pleasantly surprised with this show, and that's why we're leading off TRT with SummerSlam. You got any opening thoughts about the show? Like, you 
we went through it on Sunday on our way to ICW. I gave you the rundown. Like, yeah. And you didn't know anything about it at that point. Yeah, no, I knew absolutely nothing about the show. And I really had no intentions of watching SummerSlam. I'd heard, like, you know, some things on social media that it was pretty good. But I was still like, ah, probably not going to watch it. But then we went to ICW Milwaukee on Sunday, and we talked all about it. And I was like, all right, I can check out some SummerSlam. And just watching the show, like I've said for a long while now, uh, WWE's in-ring quality has been pretty superb for a while. Yeah, they have a certain style to their matches, but it's still a good style, and their matches are still a lot of fun, especially at, you know, big shows. But this show, just as a whole, everything felt a little bit different, and everything felt like it was just turned a little bit up. And this felt like the most important SummerSlam that we've had in a very long time. Like, this actually felt like the biggest party of the year, where this was, like, shit, a big four pay-per-view. Like, this had, like, mania feel as, like, you just turned it on. It felt like in early WrestleMania 30s, like, that kind of WrestleMania, because it was one night, big stadium. It didn't feel like SummerSlam. It felt more like a WrestleMania, and that was... That was nice. I liked that they gave it that big grandeur feel because it is one of their big shows. And technically, it should be treated like WrestleMania. There's a lot of blow-offs that happen at SummerSlam. And it's it's kind of the very, very, very start of WrestleMania. It's not WrestleMania season yet. This is when we start like escalating to WrestleMania season after SummerSlam. So... I like the show a lot. Uh, we can get into it. The first match is arguably the match of the entire show, and that was for the Raw Women's Championship, and it was Bianca Belair defeating Becky Lynch by pinfall in 15 minutes and 10 seconds. And, yeah, I just this match was hard-hitting. Went to the outside. Becky Lynch, like, looked like she legitimately – hurt herself and I know on Raw she came out and she was injured but then she got attacked after that so it's like I don't know it's wrestling but I I don't know I, I look pretty legit during the match Bianca Belair is just a badass and every time Becky Lynch would try to get the upper hand she just couldn't do it and I really like the callback to last year's SummerSlam when Becky Lynch returned and hit the man slam and won right away and how, like, everything's changed in one year, and Bianca Belair was ready for her this year and took it to her and ended up getting the win. I was, I really liked this match a lot. We're not going to star rate it because I feel star rating WWE matches are weird because I have, like, special, like, formula that, like, isn't written down it's in my head. But, like, WWE matches don't always meet this formula because. The entertainment value. I mean, this match would, but I just want to, since it's a WWE show, I don't want to, yeah, I don't want to pick and choose what matches I'm going to rate. I'm just going to, as a whole, I'll just say if I liked them or not. And I really did like this match. Yeah, I thought this was an absolute amazing way to open the show. I thought, first of all, Becky's ridiculous, like, sunglasses that, like, weren't actually sunglasses. It was more almost just like a visor that was, like, above her eyes. 
Like for her entrance gear, I thought was absolutely ridiculous. And Big Time Bex has been a wonderful character for the little bit that I've watched of it. I mean, I just, Becky Lynch is great. And just everything about this match. Yeah, it was the callbacks, everything that they did, like the hard hitting affair of it. And there was pictures online that you can see where it actually does look like Becky separated her shoulder in the match where you can see it already like starting to bruise and separate, which means if she wrestled most of this match with a dead arm, like friggin' Becky Lynch, like she is friggin' amazing. And Bianca Belair, just the power of Bianca Belair, like she's one of those, she's kind of like a Cesaro type of powerhouse where she looks strong, but then her actual level of strength is so above what she actually looks because she's so fucking powerful. Like, I swear to God, she's the strongest woman in wrestling. And I don't care what you say. Like, she just literally Otis. manhandled Becky. She's picked up Otis. Yeah. She is very strong. Um, yeah, this match is awesome. And followed by the post-match, uh, Bianca was celebrating. And then Bailey's music hit. And Bailey walked down and stopped in the middle of the aisle. And then we got a returning um, Dakota Kai, which was a big surprise because she was released just a couple months ago. And uh, Papa Trips decided, you know what? She's one of my gals. I'm bringing her back. And then uh, we weren't done yet because we also got the debuting Io Shirai, who they, they still are changing names, even with Vince McMahon out there. But this one actually makes sense. It's EO Sky, and because she's the Empress of the Sky, didn't you know? Um, is that her or was that uh, um, can't name her name right now. What? Who? What? EO Shirai is the Empress of the Sky, right? Yeah, yeah, EO Shirai is yeah. the Empress of the so Sky. I mean, so at least her name change makes sense, you know? Yeah. Now that she's EO Sky, yeah, but it's gonna and, take I me mean, a minute because I'm gonna, I'm gonna mess it up, but um. And it's really close to Io Shirai anyways. And that small of name change, just that's easier for the general audience. Like, no offense, the general audience isn't always the most intelligent of folks. So, you know, you got to dumb some things down. So they debuted basically as this new faction and entered the ring and are facing off with Bianca Belair. And apparently their name is Control. Uh, so... I think it's a dig at uh, CYN, which that thing, that let's get honest, that sucks. That, I haven't seen much of it, but the little bits and pieces I've seen of it, it is weird. I'm not going to partake in that. Um, yeah. Anyway, so then they're facing off with Bianca Belair, and then Becky Lynch comes in the ring and stands side by side with Bianca Belair, and they just kind of have a stare down, and... Like, if this were still a Vince run, like, angle, I have a feeling that Becky Lynch would have, like, turned on Bianca, like, had a real fit, real fast face turn and turned heel right away and joined their faction. But since it's Triple H, I mean, that's just my opinion. There's no facts behind that. But, yeah, so I, I kind of like that Becky Lynch was turning face in this because it felt it felt like a good moment for her to turn face. Like she was beat by Bianca. They shook hands and hugged after the match. She like respected Bianca. It just felt right. It was a good face turn in my opinion. And I really enjoyed the after match. Um, whatever angle. 
Yeah, no, I absolutely, I love that Bailey coming back felt like such a big deal as well. Like her coming out and the crowd losing their mind and her still being Bailey the heel, which is what I really wanted because smiley, happy Bailey, I just don't care about. Bailey as whatever kind of bad guy she is, is always better. I like bad guy Bailey. And then having Dakota Kai and EO Sky come out to create this new faction to like really, I guess, bolster this women's division, which on paper, just besides like a stardom or an all women's promotion, like their women's roster dwarfs and uh, just overshadows any other women's roster out there. Funny how every person in this angle came from NXT. Huh. It's a weird, weird, weird thing. I wonder if there's a theme to that throughout the whole rest of the night or anything like that. I, or even into the next night or Monday night. Or even into Monday night. Who would know? But yeah, love the ending. Becky turning back face here. And then also bleeding into Monday night with her having to come out in the sling. And then having control at the end just completely wreck her to really write her off TV for a little bit. Just such smart booking. Like, all right. This was this went really well, but this problem presented itself. Well, let's write it into the story and add more fire to it. And I think it'll end up working out better. Like a face turn real quick. Then when Becky comes back, we can just all cheer for Becky. Like instead of her going away as a heel, and then when she comes back, we're going to cheer her anyways. But it wouldn't have made sense. Now it's going to make sense. Yeah. Yep. And I actually have confidence in that uh, storyline. I wouldn't have last month, but I actually have confidence. Um, match number two was Logan Paul defeating The Miz, and The Miz was accompanied by Maurice and Tommaso Ciampa, and he won by pinfall. This match was 14 minutes and 15 seconds, and, I mean, it was a good match. I'm not going to lie. Uh, Logan Paul is very athletic, and he actually looks like he should be a professional wrestler. He can wrestle. But... I think he's just a garbage human being and I just can't get behind him. And like, I, I might've been more behind it if he was the heel and I don't know. It's just, I don't know. It, it just, it's a really weird situation. Like I don't even think that the Miz is even the best opponent for him. I really hated on Saturday night that like Champa is the Miz's lackey, but then what happened on Monday with uh, him winning the triple threat to go to the number one contendership at the end of the night to beat AJ Styles to be number one contender for the U.S. US. championship against Bobby Lashley, which I would not be surprised if he won because Champa is Triple H's boy and yeah. Bobby Lashley is not. Um, I don't know. I like, I'm not as mad about it as I was on Saturday night. Because that was definitely a Vince McMahon. Yeah, we're going to take this NXT champion, two-time champion, and he's just going to be like, we're going to do another Mizdow kind of thing. You yeah. know? Not anymore. He's just a lackey with a beard. Ha, ha, ha. This is hilarious. So, I mean, the match was good. It is, yeah. It wasn't really too invested in it because I just don't like Logan Paul as a person. Yeah, I kind of feel the same way. Logan Paul just sucks. and But he is freaking good at pro wrestling and i've seen so many people online just like just just so annoyed by it too like i think we all feel the exact same way about it it's like son of a bitch why is he so fucking good at this like stop it stop it i don't want to like you you suck 
you suck. I hate you, and I'm not going to like you. But damn it if you're not good at this pro wrestling stuff. And it's just, ugh. But, like, and I love The Miz. You know they're going to sign Jake Paul. They're going to be a tag team. Oh, yeah. And they're both going to be great, and they're going to probably end up going down as two of the greatest, like, tag team wrestlers of all time in the end. And it's just going to be an annoying footnote of everything. It's just every pro wrestling like person is going to be like, Oh, I hate him so much, but I got to put him on this list. And you know, I got to put him on this list, even though I don't want to put him on this list. Yeah. Like five years from now, we're going to be begging for the Paul brothers versus FTR. Yeah. And the throwing the bucks in their retirement match. Yeah, right. Oh God. There, this match, it was good. I'll, yeah. I'll give it that. I will Hell give of it frog the splash. I'll give it the credit it's due. I just don't like a little. Uh, the next match was uh United States Championship match with champion Bobby Lashley defeating Austin Theory. I'm not going to call him just by one name because he's Austin Theory. By submission in four minutes and 45 seconds, which was smart because Austin Theory announced that he was going to cash in at the end of the night. So keep himself fresh. You don't care about the United States title. He wants the WWE World Heavyweight, whatever the fuck it's called now, title. And the yes. undisputed so, WWE Universal Heavyweight Championship. Don't you feel like that's a little bit long of a name? I don't know what you're talking about. That seems totally rational. But I like, because he, like, the minute that, uh, he was put in whatever, I forget what Bobby Lashley calls it. The hurt lock. Bobbles. Yeah, the hurt lock. Uh, the second you put him in the hurt lock, he just tapped out. Yeah. Smart. Get out of there. Keep yourself fresh. Well, um, I mean, I loved the beginning of the match that right away. So you told me about this match, and you were like, and he tapped out right away. And I was like, oh, I like that. That's smart. And you were like, yeah, it kind of it was a little annoying. But he's like, it was a decent match. And I was like, after I watched the match, I loved it. Because especially because he tried to get in there and just win the damn thing really quick. And when that didn't work, then it was like, well, fuck it. I'm getting out of here. Like, all right. I put in my, I tried to wreck him with the briefcase. I hit some stuff. And a quick sidebar. Ding. So I know they just call him Theory on commentary. And but what the, where does A-Town come from then? Huh? Where's that A in A-Town come from? <laughs> I'm really, really confused because everyone keeps calling him A-Town. But it has nothing to do with theory. There's not even an A in theory. So where's this A-Town coming from? Hmm? Yeah, that hmm? Is, WWE? That is a good point. And I am a big fan of Austin Theory. I loved what they did with him when the, the Monday Night Messiah, when he was part of that for a hot minute, and then uh, being a part of the Gargano family. That was short-lived but hilarious. Yeah. Like, And he was like the funniest part. When they had... When they went to like the family psychologist, the, the opening of the segment was, "This isn't Chuck E. Cheese." <laughs> the way that's or what they were called. You told me we were going to. You told me we were going to Chuck E. Cheese, like. <laughs> oh, Papa Johnny, Papa Johnny. Oh man, that was that was good stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I miss Johnny G. I too. Coming back. Oh yeah, he's obviously coming back now. So also he double double quick sidebar here. I was talking to someone uh, about just the WWE at, my, at the bar I work at, and they were like, "Is Austin Theory in trouble?" And I was like, 
What are you on about, man? Did you not? Do you forget that he was NXT before he was main roster? Triple H, Triple H fucking H loves Austin Theory. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, because Triple H was in charge of like all the evolved stuff when WWE took control of it. So yeah, Triple H like took Austin Theory from Evolve. So yeah, he's he's Triple H's boy. Oh yeah. Um, I was like that Vince McMahon stuff was all just a clever ruse to make you think. He was Vince's boy. But it, back in his mind, he was always a Triple H boy. But, uh, yeah, so far, the show has been really good. But I think the next match was definitely the worst match on the card. Um, it was okay. It was a no-disqualification tag team match with the Mysterios defeating the Judgment Day and 11 minutes and 5 seconds. Just, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of getting sick of this Mysterious hype tour. Like, even though I haven't really been consistently watching the product, it's like every single time I do, it's like, look, we have uh, Rey Mysterio, and he's taking with his son, Dominic. It's <laughs> nothing new. There's no character with these like two wrestlers, and it's just it's boring. And what they did with Judgment Day, which I hope that can be fixed with some proper booking, is also just stupid. Like, they shouldn't have lost to the Mysterious. And I know Edge came out, and, like, he's the reason they lost. But, I mean, don't you think they should be, like, winning this match so it kind of makes them stronger and not look stupid? When you have Finn Balor and Damian Priest, who are really good wrestlers in this faction, I just, I don't know. This was the only, this is the only thing I really had to gripe about on the whole show. It just... It was definitely probably still a Vince McMahon thing, and they're just going to reset it. Like, basically what happened on Raw, they kind of did a little bit, but yeah. I don't know. This was this was the lamest part of the show for me. Yeah, Cooper didn't uh, really enjoy this match either. But there are some cool spots in it. Like, I really enjoyed when Ray was going for the 619, and Finn just came out of nowhere with a dropkick off the blind tag and just destroyed... Ray with that dropkick and Ray went flying. Really, the only thing I want to bring up about this whole match is the fact that why in the hell were the Mysterios in like Hulk Hogan gear? Like every time I looked at their gear, all I could think of was Hulk Hogan. It literally looked like it was an homage to the motherfucking Hulk Hogan. And Hulk Hogan fucking sucks. So what the fuck was that about? I have no idea. I don't know. I. That is. Are they ever going to turn Dominic on Ray? Or is he just going to be Ray's tag team partner until he retires? And no one knows when that will be because Ray Mysterio can still kind of go. I mean, he can't do what he could do like even like five years ago, but he's still a really good wrestler. But I don't know. It just it bothers me. Like, I feel like we. You got to test the waters, I feel, because otherwise you don't know what you have in Dominic. So either push him to the moon as a heel or I don't know. But I don't know. Now this match didn't do it for me. I, I even when we talked about it on the way to ICW on Sunday, I forgot to even like bring this up. Because I, I forgot this match even happened because it was just nothing. Yeah, there's reports out there that Ray wants to turn the mask over to Dominic 
you know, when he retires and everything like that. But if Ray wants to keep wrestling, like, how long is that going to be? Because, yes, this I haven't been following, like, actually watching the product. I follow it, so I still know what's up. But, yeah, this happy farewell tour to the Mysterios where they just keep beating all these credible tag teams is just really lame. And they do the exact same thing every match. I don't need to see this double 619. It's not that cool. All right? It was cool, like, once. Now it's not that cool anymore. I don't care. Done with the Mysterios. Edge looked really cool coming out of the flaming stairs, though. I mean, it looked like a crazy... Yeah. Looked like a crazy badass. while he's gone. <laughs> I mean, it cost 10 grand. You got to find a use for it, apparently. Right. Um, the next match was a very good match, in my opinion, because it was Pat McAfee defeating Happy Corbin in only 10 minutes and 40 seconds. But, I mean, Pat McAfee is another one of these guys that, like, if he wouldn't have went to play football and he would have just started wrestling... He would have been a very credible wrestler. I like Pat McAfee, but he also has that, like, every person kind of feel to him. There was a spot in the match where he went up for a springboard and he, like, lost his balance, but then he caught his balance. And, like, it's like you can tell that he isn't wrestler by, like, his first profession. Like, that's not what he does, but he can do it. And I, I kind of like that feel. He... Every time I see him wrestle, I get excited. Like, he has what it takes in the ring to, like, pump up the crowd and do all that. And then Michael Cole, this is the part where they switch commentary teams, and Michael Cole and Corey Grace with us tonight. Michael Cole was on a different level than he's ever been in a WWE pay-per-view. And in this match, Corey Graves said, I liked you better when you didn't have an opinion. And Michael Cole just responds with, well, that's changed. A lot of things have changed. And I'm like, damn. Shots fired. And you know what? Michael Cole from here on out was like, he was amazing. I'm not even going to lie. I enjoyed Michael Cole for like one of the first times in my year or in my life. And Chad did remind me he did the commentary for the UK uh, championship tournament like five years ago or so. And I forgot all about that. And he did a really awesome job. Then, too, when he doesn't have Vince McMahon in his ear, he's actually a really good uh, announcer. Yeah, it's but, almost uh, like if uh, there's not a crazy old man barking in your ear, you can actually just talk about the product that you quite seem to enjoy. But, yeah, I Michael Cole putting Pat McAfee over as much as he does, too, makes me like this match more. And, of course, you have Corey Graves being the heel, rooting for Happy Corbin. That's been consistent ever since NXT. He's always yep. been a Corbin fan. He loves Baron Even Corbin. Even when Corbin was like uh, sad Corbin for a hot minute and he was kind of a baby face, he still felt bad for him. And I like how they mentioned that he used to sleep on Corbin's couch and then Corbin used to sleep on Pat McAfee's couch. Yeah. And like they were in the know, Colts tr- locker room together like yeah, for were a minute. Yeah, in the same year. Yeah. yeah. Like that's cool. Like the story actually goes back that far. And they, I wonder. Like, if they really did have any interactions back then. I don't know. There's a lot of people in the uh, locker room at the beginning of the season, you know? Yeah. Like, I don't know. But yeah, the I like this ass, match. Yeah, the bum-ass Corbin choir to uh, yep. start when Corbin was coming out. Some of the funniest things. Like, Baron Corbin is one of those, like, interesting guys. Because I, he's not the greatest pro wrestler. He's, like, a good pro wrestler. and He's got some really cool moves. But he's a great pro wrestler in the fact that 
he knows how to get a crowd to eat, hate him. Like he has just the expressions and, and the way he talks and the things he does. Like Baron Corbin's a forever pro wrestler. And I, I love me some Baron Corbin. I'm, I'm pretty sure nobody's ever kicked out of the end of days. No, I'm they had what? Sure that's no. Uh, except for what's his name? Madcap Moss did it at that last pay per view. Oh, yeah. See, then that's the worst fucking person to have kick out of the fucking move. Like, all these years, like, when he started in NXT and, like, he'd win matches in, like, 15 seconds, I loved that. Like, when he was, like, the lone wolf, that was a great fucking gimmick. And then, like, he's had a lot of good gimmicks over the years. He's been very annoying. He's been great at his job. Um, Like, when he was the commissioner or the GM of Raw, like, that was a horrible time. But, like, he made it work. Like, he did a really good job in that role. And it was really shitty role they put him in. Yeah. But, like, he had to wrestle in the, like, dress clothes and stuff like that. But He's right. got a funny Corbin. belly button, but he but he makes it work. <laughs> uh, yeah, Corbin is definitely a forever pro wrestler. And I am a fan of Corbin, and I will always be. And I'll, I'll always be booing him because it's fun to boo him. It's kind of yeah. like Yanni in ICW. You know who uh, the two guys, no matter what, no matter who's in charge of WWE, will be there at the end of days, pun intended. It'll be The Miz and Baron Corbin. No matter what, I guarantee those guys have a job in WWE for the rest of the time that they want a job in WWE. That's a good point. You're probably right. The next match was for the undisputed WWE Tag Team Championship. With the champion Usos defeating the Street Profits by pinfall in 13 minutes and 25 seconds. And this match was really good. I like the Street Profits. And I like that they have this like rift. It feels like they're about to break up. Um, and that was kind of evident on Raw a little bit too. It, um, it feels like Montez Ford might turn heel and might get... Uh, a nice uh, push, which would make sense because Triple H is a boy. But I I like this match. This match was a lot of fun. I mean, I always thought the Usos were going to win. I didn't think that they were going to lose the titles yet. But it it's a good matchup, and I know it's been done a lot. Uh, it's the problem that WWE has with not having like legitimate tag teams, so they put their legitimate tag teams up against each other Way too much, but a strength of Triple H, uh, at least in NXT, was the tag team division because for a good two, three years, that was the best part of NXT. NXT was the tag team division, and he was actually really good at taking two random guys and sticking them together like DIY, um, American Alpha, FTR, even the Street Profits, like... Angelo Dawkins was a singles wrestler on NXT for a while. Um, I'm pretty sure when Jason Jordan was looking for a tag team partner, he, uh, Dax Harwood was his tag team partner for a hot minute before FTR started or the revival. Um, but yeah, so wow. I'm excited about tag team WWE's future because Triple H is good at booking tag teams. And even putting just random guys together and making them feel like a team. So this match was good. 
Uh, like I said, the Usos won. Jeff Jarrett was the special guest referee, by the way, which was meaningless. It didn't make any sense at all because he's known for being a tag team wrestler, right? Yeah. Um, he's known for being a referee as well. So, I mean, it all came together. I mean, I will give it to him that though it was pointless for him to be out there, he called it right down the middle. And I did like his like more gung-ho kind of style of referee. He did make it seem like he was a pro wrestler, you know, being a guest referee where, you know, got involved in the five count where he just grabbed the wrestler and pulled him away and everything like that. So I like that. And I like that it didn't, he didn't end up hitting him with a guitar or anything like that. So I was happy about that. It just, it feels weird to see Jeff Jarrett in the WWE, even though it's been a couple years since like he's been in the hall of fame and stuff like that. It just, it feels weird. Like it's just something that, you didn't think was going to happen. And then he's even had matches in the WWE since he's been in the Hall of Fame. It's weird. It's just weird. And then um, the very next night, he was in Ric Flair's last match ever. Yeah, which is also weird. And had, Which uh, did you hear? They almost referenced it on commentary when they said no. when Jeff Jarrett was coming out. He was like, well, Jeff Jarrett's got a big weekend this weekend. He's got tonight. He's the guest referee. And tomorrow night. And they just stopped. Like, Michael Cole almost fucking said it, that he was going to be in Ric Flair's last match the next night. Because it was just down the road, right? Yeah, it was in Nashville. Yeah. Um, I think it was in Nashville. Yeah, um, that's where StarCast was, so. I don't know. You'd think that Triple H, with being, like, as close to Ric Flair as he is, he would have just been, like, whatever, to say it. But I guess they also, like, in WWE lore... Ric Flair's last match was against Shawn Michaels, and that moment, the I'm sorry, I love you, is one of the biggest moments in WWE history. So I guess I can see why they would be like, no, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> He's and never had a match one, after that match. It's one of the greatest moments ever. ever. Yeah, one of the greatest yeah. match moments ever in a match. Like Shawn Michaels' face, and then that super kick, ah, still gets you right in the heart. But yeah, so I, mean, I like the tag team match. Oh, yeah. Sorry. I forgot we were talking about the tag team match at all. <laughs> uh, it was a good match. Uh, I think Montez Ford is definitely a future star. Like, that dude is on the cusp. Like, his hot tags, his getting beat down, his new, like, jacked physique. And I, I don't mean to compare him to someone else, but his, like, bulk up reminds me a lot of Will Ospreay's bulk up, where... He now just looks legit like, like, oh shit, man. That guy is like, when he was like flexing, when he was during his like hot tag comeback, I was like legitimately impressed. I was like, holy damn, like Montez Ford, like he used to be like a really like slim dude. Like he moved quick and everything, but he is now jacked and he did not lose any speed at all. He is a future star and I can't wait to see what happens with Montez. He's also a very, very uh, bold man for putting a tattoo of his wife's face on his body. Like, that's that's a bold move right there. <laughs> it's a bold move, Cotton. Let's see how it works out for him. <laughs> well, moving on to it was the penultimate match of the night. It was for the SmackDown Women's Championship, and it was champion Liv Morgan defeating Ronda Rousey by pinfall in four minutes and 35 seconds. I So when this match started, it's like I didn't think that Ronda should walk out champion, but at the same time, it's like how does Liv actually win this match? 
And that was what was like, I was like, I don't know, like I could see maybe Ronda like losing by disqualification or something stupid happening. But what actually happened in this match was I liked the finish a lot. Like, so basically, uh, Liv Morgan got a little bit of offense in, but mainly Ronda Rousey was just like throwing her like a rag doll. And it basically ended up with her having Liv Morgan in the arm bar. And she, when she had it in the arm bar, her shoulders were also down. So referee counted. And when the referee hit two, Liv Morgan tapped out. Referee didn't see it, counted three, awarded Liv Morgan the victory. And then Ronda Rousey went apeshit and attacked the referee, attacked Liv Morgan some more. Sean Devari was in the ring. Like, yeah. Jamie I, Noble I was in the was, ring. I thought it was uh, a great finish. But for a short match, it made sense. Like, I really feel like Liv Morgan is so over right now that like it would have been a mistake to take off the title. It's great. Everything about this was great. I loved it. Now Ronda Rousey is suspended, so you can keep her off TV until like maybe like I don't know Survivor Series or whatever Royal Rumble maybe. Who knows? Because it's indefinitely. So everything about this was great. I loved it. Yeah. No. Uh, Liv Morgan is over like Rover. I mean, the fans have been calling for so long for her to get a title run to get a push. To have ended it here would have been a mistake. But also, to probably put her over clean on Ronda Rousey at this point would have also been a mistake. So, kudos to them or Triple H or whoever booked this match for coming up with this finish. The commentary was completely on point. I loved that Corey Graves, as the heel, is the one who called right away. And Michael Cole was like, I didn't see it. I didn't see it at all. And then after he did see it, instead of the old way where if Vince McMahon was in his ear, he probably would have been like, well, that doesn't matter. That doesn't matter at all. She got her. She was pinned. Michael Cole went, nope, you're right. 100% ref fucked up. Yeah, you're right. I see it now. Hey, like admitted to it. It was a different feel. I mean, going back to when the, they first came on, like the first thing Michael Cole said, now it's the A-team. And it's like. It's not like something Michael Cole usually would say. I don't know. No. He had an extra pep in his step. Like, he seemed excited, and it made me excited. Like, I want to see more of Michael Cole like this. Like, I would be a Michael Cole fan if he was like this all the time. For real. Yeah. But And the fact he kept match. referencing every ref's name and every camera guy's name and everything like that made everything feel so much more real. Like, And, once again, this is just going to be an episode where we reference a lot of other people. He almost had, like, the Kevin Kelly feel where Kevin Kelly seems to know everything about everyone at these events. So he's just, like, talking to everyone all at once. That's what Michael Cole did, like, during this. He was, like, like yelling at these referees for making bad calls and yelling at the camera guy. Like, oh, I hope he's okay after he gets, like, taken out. Like, it was great. I, I, this is a sidebar. But I wonder if Michael Cole and Kevin Kelly are still friends. I mean, because they worked in the WWE together for probably, like, five years, you know. Yeah. And, like, for a time, they were both, like, the B announcers. They were the backup guys. Someone couldn't make it or something like that. The backstage interviewers. I don't know. I wonder if they're still friends. Because, I mean, like, they are similar in ways. They definitely were, like, trained to do this by WWE. And you can tell. But they also have their own, like, spin on it. And I really like Kevin Kelly's spin. And, like, I agree. He felt more like a Kevin Kelly than he usually does it wasn't your usual michael cole but uh moving on to the main events which 
I didn't want to see this match again. The world didn't want to see this match again. But coming in, I I personally forgot it was a last man standing match. But when Roman Reigns enters and all the facts that Michael Cole gives about how there's never in the history of SummerSlam been a last man standing match, which is like, ooh, and then given all the, like, information about uh, Roman Reigns' title reign and, like, all the, like, title reigns that he's surpassed and all the ones that he's coming up on and how, like, he is one of the greatest wrestling champions of all time was also, like, okay, like, get me excited for this match. Then Brock Lesnar comes out, and Michael Cole says, Brock Lesnar, in the history of his WWE career that spans 20 years, has never wrestled in a last-man-standing match. So then that got me excited, too, because that's something new, and that's something you think that Brock Lesnar would have dominated somebody in a last-man-standing match at some point in his career. But So that got me excited. And then Brock Lesnar turns around and climbs on a tractor with a front loader and I'm like getting Stone Cold Steve Austin vibes, which is always good. And drives it down to the ring, parks it in front of the ring, lifts the front loader, climbs up in it, grabs a microphone, interrupts the ring announcer, and does basically a Paul Heyman introduction for him and tosses the mic in the ring. Roman Reigns catches it. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, wait, did you see Roman Reigns catch this mic? Yeah, he just, was, like, nonchalantly, too. Yeah. Effortlessly, like, without looking, at him too. he whips it, just <laughs> just caught it in his, like, hand. I, I I don't know if it was a perfect throw, or I, I have no idea. It was the wildest thing. And also, just a quick thing for the whole night, that I really, like, it really hammered it home in this final match. For probably the first time, and I, I don't honestly know how long, I truly felt that the WWE commentary through the entire show, instead of dragging things down, was actually putting over the things that should be put over in every match. Every match, though I haven't been keeping up with the, like, watching weekly, every match I felt like was, oh, fuck, this is, like, big time. Even the stupid Rey Mysterio versus Judgment Day shit. Like, and it wasn't the video package that got me jacked up about these matches. It was the commentary team, like, talking about what was happening. It was mind-boggling. And all the facts about Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar. And Brock Lesnar standing on that fucking front loader. I just, like, this whole thing just, the way this match started, I was like, well, this isn't going to be normal. I was like, oh, man. Like, no one wanted to see this. And they went, all right, fine. Well, we're going to give you this. What do you think about it? And so then the bell rings and immediately Brock Lesnar jumps off the front loader into the Luthas press and just starts pounding Roman Reigns in the face. Definitely Stone Cold Steve Austin-esque. It was just, yeah, this match, like, easily, without a doubt, was their best match together. Like, I didn't want to see this match. I was pissed that they did this match. But after seeing the outcome of the match, I'm actually glad they did it. Because... Like, their matches in the past have been kind of boring and methodical and not great. They've been okay. But this match was entertaining. It was fun. Like, if Brock Lesnar would have won this match, like, people would have been upset. People were upset that Roman Reigns won it. It was a lose-lose, kind of. But at the same time, like, it would have been okay because, I don't know, it's Brock Lesnar. It just... I really like how Roman Reigns couldn't put Brock Lesnar away. 
with all the shenanigans with the tractor. First, when he rolled, he put Roman Reigns in the front loader, lifted him up, and then dumped him out. Yeah. <laughs> it was the slowest roll ever. I like, think he, he accidentally so hit the yeah. I think he hit the down switch uh, instead of the flip switch because he definitely moved him down too close to the ring. So it was only like a two foot fall. So like you could see Roman even tried to make it look worse by like barrel rolling out of it. He was like, ah, <laughs> it was the softest landing ever. Yeah, that's but it makes it makes it better that that's the way it happened. Yeah. And then uh, the whole with him lifting the ring with the front loader first he pushed the ring i don't think that was supposed to happen no like everyone like jumped out of the way like some people standing on the other side like yeah. cameraman and like yeah i think he was supposed to like get underneath it and he like didn't do it right and i think yeah. brock uh had a probably passing knowledge of how to run this tractor and i think he probably went to him and was like oh yeah the, uh, fuck yeah i know how to run this tractor i drive one all the time when really he's probably like, ah, I've, I've driven it like twice when I was like 19. I can, I can figure this shit out. I've done it yeah, before. I mean, he lives on a farm. I'm assuming that he like does stuff like this. But he's also Brock Lesnar, and he could have just been doing that to fuck around. Yeah. Like, I could totally see Brock Lesnar, like, he's having a good time. So instead of lifting the ring, I'm going to startle him a little bit, and I'm going to give yeah. the ring a little push. Yeah, and then, him then laughing, <laughs> him laughing in that front loader is an image that I will forever just enjoy. It's, it was the Undertaker laugh when he laughed yeah. in the Undertaker's face. It was the same yeah. laugh. Yeah, like, and that's still one of the best moments too. Like Undertaker was really pissed off at that moment when he laughed in his face. Undertaker's response back, <laughs> great stuff. But yeah, and then the, the image of seeing like like one corner of the ring just lifted up in the air. Is like something that you've never seen before. Yeah. Like, and then wrestling the rest of the match like that, and like Roman Reigns being in that corner, and then he really did a barrel roll that yeah. time. And when he fell out of the ring, like he made it look like it hurt. And I mean, yeah. his face, like, don't get me wrong, I don't think Roman Reigns is the greatest of actors, but that had to be on a planned spot. And his face made it look like he had no idea that was coming because. The, like, surprise and look of fear in his face as he started to, like, fall backwards was, it looked very genuine, so. And then had Brock Lesnar basically almost had this match won when the Usos came out and, like, super kicked him and super kicked him and with chairs, uh, speared him, and he just kept on getting up at nine. I think he got up at nine, like, three times. And this was my favorite moment of the entire show when, like the second time he was down, Michael Cole's just like, God damn it, Chet, come faster. Like he's just screaming. <laughs> and eventually they just had to pile everything on Brock Lesnar to finally get the win. And I see people like complaining about, oh, the Russo said to come out of him. It makes total fucking sense. It's Brock Lesnar, he's the beast. Like, this is what they've done the entire time. Like, I it mean, makes sense. He's the heel. You skipped over some important things. You skipped over Brock Lesnar finally F5-ing Paul Heyman through the announce table. And then Paul Heyman being completely dead for the rest of the match. And Michael Cole bringing up, or I think it was Corey Graves who actually said, well, if Paul Heyman ever actually regains consciousness, because he just was laying there at ringside for the rest of the match until at the very end they had to drag him out. Like, the Usos literally carried him basically to the back. And then also, forgot to mention that Good old A-Town came out to oh, attempt yeah, to yeah. cash in on uh, Roman Reigns and hit Roman Reigns 
with one of the most wicked briefcase shots I've ever seen. Because Roman Reigns bounced into the guardrail and, like, his head snapped back. And I was like, ooh, shit, that looked really bad. Well, the best part about Austin Theory doing this is he did it the same exact way as Seth Rollins. Like, by dragging out the referee, the run down to the ring was exactly the same. And then with Michael Cole saying, there's this is there's precedence for this. Yeah. WrestleMania 31, the heist of the century. Like, I really like that part too. Like the callback of it being Roman Reigns versus Brock Lesnar and them doing it again is like almost a Vince McMahon move. But if he would have done it, it would have like Austin Theory would have won the match. I was gonna say Austin Theory would have cashed in and we would have a new champion. And that brings the question, like, what does a triple threat last man standing match look like? How do you win this match? I don't know. Like, there's never been one. Now I want to see one to see what it would look like. You got to kill both your opponents. I think that's the only way to win. But, yeah, but everything, this match was really fun. Oh, and then Brock leveled A-Town, obviously. F5'd him onto the briefcase. And then one of my favorite parts is when Roman got the briefcase himself and then was pelting Brock Lesnar with it. Yeah. I mean, he just had it with the handle. And it was just like full-on haymaker swinging with the thing. And I was like, like this match, and then way earlier in the match, I forgot to mention this, when Brock Lesnar just, he was looking for a weapon to hit uh, Roman with, and all there was was the broken table pieces. So he just took half the table, and he just <laughs> fucking leveled him with it, and then he started laughing. Like, Brock Lesnar is, like, Farmer Brock ever since he has come back, ever since Brock Party. Really, he has been having the goddamn time of his life in pro wrestling anytime he's out there, and it's just wild to see, because Brock you know Lesnar is a nut. You know it's crazy to think? Brock Lesnar has had a longer run in wrestling than like Stone Cold Steve Austin or The Rock, like their characters. Uh, it's it's crazy to think because there was a long period of time, it was like eight years, I think, that he wasn't a part of wrestling and no one ever thought he'd come back. And like, then he did come back and like, he created a whole new legacy for him in professional wrestling. And like, I was annoyed for a good chunk of Brock Lesnar's, like what he did like about seven years ago. But looking back on it, I'm kind of glad it went down that way. And, like, what legacy Brock Lesnar has of being, like, one of the greatest ever to step in the ring. It also is so crazy that he hates professional wrestling. <laughs> like, he just does it because he makes money doing it and he can do it. He doesn't watch the product. He doesn't know who anybody is. He doesn't like people. He just wants yeah. to make money. And he's still one of the best to ever done it. Brock Lesnar is one of those weird, like, just outliers out there. Like, everyone in pro wrestling generally who's good at pro wrestling loves pro wrestling. You don't ever hear the stories besides Brock Lesnar, who is just doing this for a paycheck. You don't just do pro wrestling for a paycheck unless you're fucking Brock Lesnar. And so then at the end of the show, I feel like they were trolling us at the end of the show by... There's five minutes left after this match, and most of it was Roman Reigns hoisting the belts, fireworks. One another great line by Michael Cole when Corey Graves is like saluting Roman Reigns. He's like, "Who cares about that?" He's like, "Brock Lesnar is still under all this rubble. Is anybody going to come and help him?" Like, 
Somebody get out here and help Brock. But uh, the reason I said they're trolling us is because there's all that time left and they do this all the time. And then like there's a surprise that like comes out and like faces off against Roman Reigns or something like that. They just ended the show. And I feel like they wanted you to feel like there was going to be something else. And like, nope, sorry. Good night. Nope. Which Got is you good. Almost, which is almost cool in the same way. Like, it was annoying when it happened, but it's like, it, it's unpredictable. They've done a good job with doing that. Now you almost expect it. And when they don't do it, it's like, you motherfuckers. It's yep. like in a Marvel movie when you wait till all the way to the end and there's nothing. It's like, what? Uh. Or they get you get the troll scene where it's just Captain America sitting in a chair. So you wasted all this time. So I found thoughts on this show as a whole was I probably thought it was better than WrestleMania. I liked WrestleMania a lot. There's a lot of good things that happened in WrestleMania, but like this was different. This progressed storylines, had good matches. It was very entertaining um, at a different feel, like just like commentary alone, like we talked. Uh, I don't know. I was really psyched up when I was telling you about this on Sunday. And before I like even told you about it, I wasn't that psyched up about it. I don't know. I really liked this show. I mean, it's hard for me to say that this wasn't an A show with everything that happened, even with the Mysterio's Judgment Day match. It was only it was okay. So I mean, if your worst match is only okay, I think you had a pretty good damn show. Yeah, I mean, this like under four hours too. Yeah, three and a half hours. Because uh, I watched it back. I didn't watch it till uh, yesterday, so I watched it last night. And three and a half hour show, a show, like or I mean, a, a, one of the big four shows. This was by far, besides a WrestleMania, the best big four show that the WWE has had in many moons. Like everything from top to bottom made sense. It progressed something or it ended a feud and started something new. This was as good of a SummerSlam as we could have hoped for. Like I went in and I guess this is probably one of the times where my lower expectations did help the show. But I think even if I would have went in with higher expectations, my expectations would have been met. Like, the in-ring quality was good. And then everything that happened on Raw the next night actually moved everything forward. It wasn't like, oh, SummerSlam happened, and then we just forget about it, and we move on to something new. The storyline actually progressed, and we kept going. And I know it feels like, oh, man, we're just really blowing a lot of smoke up Triple H's ass here. And we're just, you know, forgiving anything that could be bad. But it does just truly feel different in these, like, week and a half. Yeah, week and a half since this has all happened. It does feel different. And if you can't say that you think it feels different, then I think you're kind of lying to yourself. And, yeah, you're probably right. There's probably still some bad stuff backstage and everything. But the -the on-the-screen product seems different. It's, it's a minuscule difference, but it is different. And it's it's what I kind of expect. I don't expect it to be like a whole different product overnight, but I want to see it trending that way, and it kind of feels like it is. So I'm happy with it so far. doesn't mean that I'm going to be religiously watching Raw and SmackDown every week like I used to, but, I mean, 
I would love it if they got to the point where I feel like the show is that good where I can't miss it. I mean, that'd be a good problem to have, like, back in the day when there was just so much wrestling and it was really hard to watch it all. You know, I would be all right with that. Like, I want WWE to be good. WWE is what got me into wrestling, and there's always a special place in my heart for that company, even as much as it's pissed me off the last couple of years. I want them to be good. I want them to be the best. I really do. I root for them to be the best. Like, in a in a weird way, as much as I love AEW, I hate that they're coming for WWE because deep down, like, that's where my love of professional wrestling came from, you know? So there's just this thing where I just can't 100% let go, you know? So I want them to be good. So I hope that this, hope this is the beginning of great stuff ahead. Yeah, I clearly, I want all pro wrestling to be good. I think that's, that's just how we should all be thinking. It's not WWE versus AEW versus anyone. It's, it's pro wrestling versus Netflix. It's pro wrestling versus Amazon. It's pro wrestling versus the NFL. Like, can't we get to that kind of mentality where it's all of us versus all of them and not in the way that I want us to start trashing the NFL, but in the way that they're just competing for eyes? Like, that's what everyone else does. It's like the NFL is competing with the MLB. You don't hear them, you know, openly trashing them, but that's what they are doing, like, even in the offseason. So can't we just be pro wrestling versus everyone else? Come on. Come on, people. That's well put. I like it. All right. That was our WWE coverage for this episode. It's time to move on to some other pro wrestling because, folks, it is the greatest time of the summertime. It's G1 season still, and it's time to keep going with our night-to-night coverage of G1 action. So we go back to this past Saturday, which was July 30th, and we go to Night 8 action. And we start out in D-Block, and we still only have four uh, G1 matches on this card, but starting after this card, it's five matches per night until we get to the end where it's a whole card of G1 action. It's on my birthday. So, happy birthday to me. Happy birthday to Diesel. Early. But we start out in D-Block, and we have Shingo Tagagi taking on David Finlay, who did come out still with the IWGP United States Championship. So, I I was, you know, because he's a face, I kind of thought he just might turn it in. But apparently, he's just going to hold on to it. There's things that I would like to say you haven't watched Night 10 yet. We were supposed to review, but we have kids, you know. We were like Heath Slater. We're like Heath Slater now. Sometimes you just run out of time. Well, we'll throw in Night 10 next week. That's the plan. But, uh, yeah, David Finley faces Will Ospreay in Night 10. And, yeah, so obviously – that's what you wanted to get to with the belt and stuff like that. So uh, yeah. I won't say anything, but it was a good match. Um, anyways, let's talk about night eight. <laughs> um, I'm gonna I'm gonna warn you right now that my uh, notes are a little spotty at times, so I am going to be relying on Chad more for like some of the action stuff. And I have a little bit. Uh, so early on, I wrote that. Finley can't get the advantage over Shingo every time that it seems like David Finley is going to grab the advantage. 
Shingo out wrestles him or counters him, and it was really frustrating for David Finley. Um, it did get to the point where uh, Shingo was in heavy control, and he hit the uh, Made in Japan, and we got a near fall with Finley kicking out. Um, a lot of this match felt like it was Shingo in command, um, but it, it changed at the end because Finley countered with a stunner, which Shing surprised Shingo. He bounced off the ropes, and when he came back, David Finley rolled him up and got the three count for the win. And, yeah. What are your thoughts on this match? What do you got? Like, I need your help with the notes because I didn't do very good notes on this night. Uh, I didn't do the greatest of notes on this night either because I won't lie. This was probably my least favorite night of G1 action. I'll just just say it straight out right away. I I wouldn't uh, argue with that. I felt like my my ratings aren't very high. Yeah. No, I feel this match like this. This did. Uh, Shingo was mostly in control to start this match because my first note is Shingo is just so damn powerful that nothing David could do could really take him off his feet. He kept going for shoulder blocks in the beginning. Uh, Finley has a bit of an offense, but then once again, Shingo is just too damn strong and Larry hits his way back into the match where he just almost took off David Finley's head with that wicked uh, lariat that he throws. I can't remember exactly what he calls it right now. But then, yeah. He hit the Made in Japan. It looked like it was over right there. And commentary really put this over that it was over. ELP and Kevin Kelly on commentary was absolutely great. The guest commentary during this G1 has been really, really good. I didn't watch Night 10. Oh, well, once again. It was, so. it was, it was only okay. It was Lance Archer. And he, he's very knowledgeable. It's just he doesn't have the energy. Like, I prefer it out of all three nights. I thought Tom Waller was the best. I thought Tom Waller was absolutely amazing as well, but we'll get to that when we get to the next night. But, yeah, then we got to the end of the match, and David Finley kept going for the stunner, but Shingo was too powerful and kept countering and, like, holding him up, like the classic RKO counter or the cutter or counter where you just hold him. And he kept doing that until he did. He kind of used the ropes to assist him, hit him with it, and then really did, like, a full-on roll-up where... He even bridged over at the end for the three count. And Kevin Kelly lost his mind for upset of the tournament right here. And in 14 minutes and 50 seconds, Finley takes the two points, goes to four. Shingo gets zero, stays at two points. And I only gave this match two and a half stars. Because I kind of thought it was a little bit boring. And then I didn't love the finish. Like, I really thought Shingo should go over in this match. I thought David Finley winning just didn't make as much sense. I didn't like it. Didn't love it. Didn't hate it, though. I disagree with what you said, because I did like to finish. David Finley, out of everyone in this tournament, feels like the underdog. He feels like the 13th seed in the March Madness bracket that is in the Elite Eight. He feels like that, you know. So, like, for him to get this win, it makes him feel stronger. Like, it, it makes him feel lucky, and he's Irish. So, I mean, that's cool, too. Um, but, he's got a shillelagh. Yeah. 
I don't know. I, I like the ending of this. I gave this match a uh, 3.5. I like the fact that if this comes down to tiebreakers, interesting enough, David Finley has a tiebreaker because he beat Shingo. Yeah. Like, that is pretty cool. I I like what they're doing with David Finley. And 3.5 is what I gave this match. Eh, no, nothing wrong with that. I also, I don't know. I might not have been in the best mood when I was watching this uh, whole night because... Yeah, I don't know. I just might have been, you know, not the greatest headspace, but I just didn't dig it. And maybe upon rewatch, I would enjoy it more. We move on to the second match of Night 8. And this was A block action, the Monsters block. And this was Filthy Tom Lawler taking on, uh, what do they call him? Uh, something. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. What's his uh, nickname? I can't think of it right now. Uh, something dog. The big dog, no. Something dog. Maybe it is the big dog. No, that's that's, no, that's Roman, Roman Reigns. Whatever, it's Jonah. Something dog. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, this match, I've been disappointed with Tom Waller's matches, which sucks because like I like Tom Waller as a wrestler. It's just I don't know. Like right away, I like the shenanigans with the jean shorts and how he has like tights that look like jean shorts under his like Daisy Dukes. Yep. And right away he chucks them at Jonah and goes after him, but that was fruitless because he just got his ass beat for that. Yeah. Um, Jonah just battered a fucking too. Lawler to start. This is probably like uh five minutes into the match I wrote Lawler definitely drew the wrong block. Yeah. Like, it's not fair. It's not fair. He's facing all these big guys that just overpower him. And then the next thing I'm going to notice is Lawler keeps on getting the advantage, but then he loses it because he takes too long to capitalize for a pin or going to another move. Like, cause he could have won this match. And that's, it was frustrating to me. That was really pissing me off and it ended up like taking too long. And Jonah ended up hitting the torpedo on him and got the win. He just, I didn't like this match like very much at all. It was kind of boring. Yeah. This was just basically another mauling through most of the match. Jonah just dominating Tom Lawler for most of this contest. I mean, Tom Lawler got a few spots in. He got that leg trip when Jonah went for the big kind of just body block. And then he had a, a nice uh, Boston crab or single leg crab in for a second. That looked like Jonah might tap, but got out of that. And Tom Lawler countered that superplex and, you know, had had little bits of offense here and there. But yeah. This was just Jonah battering Tom Lawler, tossing him around through most of the match. And then finally at the end, he hit that kind of like F5 move onto the ropes, then grabbed Lawler off of the ropes into a powerbomb, which I thought was super impressive. And then, yeah, went up for the top rope. And I know it's called the Torpedo, but why can't we call it the Tsunami still? Like, the Tsunami was such a better name for the move. And you can't tell me that WWE has the move Tsunami trademarked. A tsunami is a fucking word, all right? It can't, they can't, they can't trademark that word, all right? I get that they can trademark names for and images for that kind of stuff, but no, you can't trademark tsunami. So just call it the tsunami. It's a way better name. They tried, they literally tried to trademark the word yes. So mm. I wouldn't put it past them to try. Uh, Jonah gets the win though at 11 minutes, 32 seconds, going to two points. Lawler, once again, zero wins, so zero points so far. I once again gave this match two and a half stars. Didn't dig it either. Like, Tom Lawler, unfortunately, in these first two matches, like, hopefully 
his next match against Yano and then against Okada. Maybe we'll see something more interesting out of Lawler, but unfortunately, it's not been great so far. I can tell you the Yano one. It wasn't that great. Um, <laughs> it had a good start. It had a good start. We'll talk about it next week, though. Um, <laughs> yeah, I gave this match 2.5 as well. Um, yeah, I actually kind of feel like 2.5 might be a little generous, but it is what it is. It, I was very disappointed with this matchup. I wasn't excited it, like to start with. I didn't think they like were two wrestlers that matched up very well, but still disappointed. I'm very disappointed in Tom Waller's tournament so far because I had really high hopes for him having some really great matches and just haven't seen it yet. Yeah, I'm uh, also a little disappointed in Jonah's run so far. And these were two guys that I really, you know, hoped would have good runs. They both still have multiple matches to go, so they could definitely do a lot better. And we haven't been watching the tag matches to begin with, so, but I don't know. I haven't been impressed with their G1 action either. At this point, both men have only wrestled two matches, too, so they both have four matches left. Yeah. All right, well, let's move on to match number three. And this came to us from B-Block. And this was Sonata taking on the Great Ocon. The first thing I put in my notes were they're actually wrestling to start the match. That is professional wrestling. It was like on the mat wrestling, which was cool at first, but that was the entire match. It was very slow paced. Dude, the first five minutes, literally, I wrote it down. There, neither man had the advantage for the first five minutes of the match. The five-minute match ca- call came, and neither man had hit, like, an offensive move, really. They just were, like, jockeying for a position for the first five minutes of this match. Yeah, I thought this match was really boring. I thought it was very slow-paced. Um, at the end... Uh, at the end... Uh, Sonata had Great Ocon in the skull end, and he won by because then he let go, got hit the moonsault. We gets the one, two, three. I wrote in my notes this was a boring match. This match is definitely not for me. Yeah, I got a few more notes on it because there was. I do agree. This match was really slow to start. Uh, it was 16 minutes and 35 seconds, so they definitely got a bit of chunk of time for this match. This match, though, the only, like, good parts of the match, like, it was so slow. Then Khan took the advantage, and then, like, Sonata, like, hulked up for a second and then, like, let the Great Okan, like, chop him. And on the third big chop, Sonata once again fell and did the inadvertent toe kick to the balls. Which I guess is going to be Sonata's new thing. He's going to start doing that all the time because it's the second time he's done that in the tournament. And so I guess that's cool. It's kind of an interesting move. Uh, and then Sonata hits the TKO, goes for the moonsault, but Khan, or Khan got the knees up. And then there was a really sloppy exchange here where they, I don't know exactly what Khan was going for, but then Sonata was going for the skull end and it just, it wasn't great. Uh, and then Khan kept going for the orbital bone slash his eye because that's apparently the big thing we're going to be going for in all Sonata matches because that's, you know, what we got to do. Sonata has a hurt eye. And then the end, he hit the pop-up TKO, which was just a pop-up, you know, RKO 
Like you can't do a TKO pop up style. That's a you know because you go from the shoulders into the cutter. That's what makes it a TKO. You can't do a pop up one, but they called it a pop up TKO on commentary. Hit the moonsault for the win. Sonata goes to four points. Khan stays at zero. 16 minutes, 35 seconds. I gave this match three stars. I didn't think it was good either, but it was better than the first two matches. So, And it was better than a 2.75, I thought. There was some decent stuff, but it was sloppy, for, especially for a Sonata match. I think I only gave it 2.5 stars. I didn't like it very much at all. I still think the first match was the best so far of the night, but we still have one more match to go. Yep, we move on to the main event of Night 8, and this came to us from C-Block, and this was Zack Sabre Jr. taking on the ace, Hiroshi Tanahashi. I didn't really write anything in my notes for this one, but like, I do like uh, the storytelling from Kevin Kelly in a lot of matches in this tournament, how he brings up the, the history between these guys, and like their fights and like it feels it felt like it was a match that uh Zack Sabre Jr. should have won and probably should have won easily at this point, but it wasn't. It was Tana was on his best and I just lost power. So I can still see you. Yeah, Here. I can still see you too. I don't know. I lost some power. I saw a like light go. My off. Stuff yeah, half my stuff like went out. Whatever. I guess we're still good. Yeah. All right. Well. Um. I don't even remember what I was saying. Uh, you're talking about Kevin Kelly talking about Tanahashi. All right. Uh. Yeah. I like I said, I didn't write much on this. Um. So you might as well go. I have the finish written down, but that's really all I have written down for this match. I, I enjoyed this match. I thought it was a really good match. I also said like Tanahashi was at his best in this match, not letting Zack Sabre Jr. get in his head or like really even take command. Like there were spots where Zack Sabre Jr. is working on the arm, but that wasn't like didn't phase Tanahashi. He's he's a pro. Yeah, no, so I start right off with a nice little wrestling exchange to begin the match, which these guys have wrestled each other multiple times. And yeah, Kevin Kelly putting it over greatly that both of these guys have, Zack Sabre Jr. doesn't like the fact that last, the last time that Tana beat him, he covered him for like a six, seven count instead of the three count. So ZSJ felt that that was disrespectful. So in the next match, he tapped out Tana and he literally named the submission move after it. Got to take out Tanahashi. And so opens great with a nice little wrestling exchange. And then if they go for a test of strength, Zack Sabre Jr. wipes his hands off on Red Shoe's uh, wrestling shirt, which I thought was hilarious. ZSJ is a great heel. And he's now like a tweener at this point where he's not always a dick, but he's still a dick, but people still like him. And it's great. Absolute risk control for ZSJ for a little bit where he was just destroying the left arm of Tanahashi before Tana has really kind of worked a little bit of a more tweener style as well. This tournament where he's not, you know, adverse to some more dastardly things. And just with a straight right hand into the hurt ribs of ZSJ, to get out of that wrist control and both guys throughout this whole match, a little bit extra on those strikes, 
little bit extra on every one of those moves because, yeah, they have so much history with each other at this point. Uh, you had a nice Cobra, tw- uh, Cobra twist uh, from Tana and a Dragon Screw. Big body shots into Somersault Senton for two. But ZSJ just keeps going right back to that arm, going for arm bars left and right. And Tana keeps getting to the ropes, though. And you can see ZSJ starts getting a little bit frustrated. And he ends up going for the Zack Driver. But Tana counters into a Zack Driver of his own and gets another close two count with another sling blade right there for two. And then we go right into the end. Nice little reversals back and forth. ZSJ locks in a nasty arm bar. But Tana rolls him up. And Red Shoes like a fucking idiot. Even though ZSJ's arm was under the bottom rope, counts the three for Tanahashi. And Tanahashi gets two points, moving to four points. Zack Sabre Jr. stays at four points. And this match was 17 minutes and 32 seconds. And I gave this match three and a half stars. Thought it was the best thing on the show. I agree it was the best thing on the show. I gave this match 3.75 stars. But I also like the fact that Tanahashi got the win, too, because it was a little bit of a surprise. I actually, I mean, it was a surprise, but I actually picked in the brackets that we did. I had Tanahashi winning, and this is the only match that I had Zack Sabre Jr. losing. So it was a good call on my part. And I was actually surprised to see that I actually picked Tanahashi. I don't remember doing that, but it worked out for me. Way to be, man. I, I don't think I did because I think I definitely would have picked ZSJ over Tanahashi. Especially, as Kevin Kelly said, due to their recent records over each other. ZSJ should have won this match. I was shocked. Really thought ZSJ was going to go over. But yeah, it was a nice surprise uh, situation here in the G1. And I just, though, as a whole, though, I thought this was definitely the weakest night of the tournament so far. I would agree. But night nine was definitely one of the better nights of the tournament. Oh, yeah. Night nine. First night that we get five matches for G1 action on the card. And they made all five of these matches count. I I agree. Night nine might have been the best overall night of action. Didn't have my favorite match overall. But just as every match on it was great. I it just had, had my favorite and highest rated match overall of the whole tournament so yeah we'll talk about that wow well let's a uh, little foreshadowing let's just get right into it we'll start with night or this was from this past sunday which was july 31st and our first match on the card was a block action and this was a hoss fight because we had jeff cobb taking on lance archer and once again commentary just right away putting over this is the monsters block and Tom Lawler being on commentary. just absolutely superb. Like I, as I said, we do, I'm not watching the tag matches. I just, I'm sorry. I don't have time right now. So I'm trying to get as much wrestling as I can. So I didn't know Tom Lawler was on until I started watching and God damn, if he was not awesome on commentary throughout this whole night of G1 action. Yeah. He was making me chuckle. I thought he had good chemistry with, uh, uh, Kevin Kelly, he was even bringing up facts that Kevin Kelly didn't even think about, like in the evil uh, uh, Nidal match, he brought up some things. It was He did a really good job. If he, like, wanted to be, like, the color guy after he retires, I think that that would be a good role for him. Oh, heck yeah. 
But uh, Jeff Cobb versus Lance Archer. I actually did a better no- job writing notes for Night Night. I think that's because I enjoyed it more, even right from the get-go. This match was my favorite Lance Archer match because I thought his other matches were kind of meh. Matches. This match, I like. It... Yeah. Uh, I wrote my first notes where it was a very agile start for both of the big men. Like they were doing stuff that big men shouldn't be able to do. That shotgun like, dropkick from Lance Archer right away. Yeah. yeah. And then into that cannonball off of the uh, apron. Beautiful. Like you don't even see Lance Archer really do that stuff in AEW. Like this, this is his best performance for sure. And uh, like, he brought back, he hasn't done this in a little while, but the top rope walk, but it was countered into the spin cycle by Jeff Cobb, yeah. which was also a nice touch. And it's crazy to see like guys this size, like Kim or Undertaker, anybody. It's not as impressive to see Phoenix do it because he's just a little guy and he's Lucha and like they have better balance. But see like a six foot seven, six foot eight guy like walk the tightrope like that is pretty impressive yeah and then Uh, i mean for freaking jeff cobb to just catch him like he was nothing like that and throw him into the spin cycle and then that like walkout vertical suplex that he did like he picked archer up perfectly it was a complete perpendicular vertical line to anything with that and then just for less than a one count less than a one count like so impressive Then did his uh, surfboard move, but he was standing on Archer's balls. I saw that right away. And then the commentary started uh, like referencing it. And then after he got off, you could hear Lance Archer go, oh, my nuts. Yeah, I know. And commentary was like, is that what you would call funky foot style? Uh, There was also earlier in the match, before this even happened, uh, Lance Archer told the crowd to shut up and got a good chuckle out of everybody because yeah. they're dead silent. I enjoyed that too. Um, I also put in my notes that Archer couldn't close. All his power moves were all getting two counts. He never did hit the blackout, so that's part of the reason he didn't win. But like, he did hit the pounce. He did the pounce, and they brought up uh, Monty Brown. Brown again. And two, he never hit the blackout. And every time there's two counts, um, then Jeff Cobb ended up countering and he hit a few Germans, then hit the tour of the islands and got the win. Yeah, the only other spots I really want to bring up the absolute monstrous choke slam that Lance Archer put on Jeff Cobb was like it was a choke slam from hell kind of thing where it was one of the biggest choke slams you see. And that was. I thought it might end the match a little earlier on that with Lance Archer getting the win. And then also the step up knee into right before that when he just had uh, Jeff Cobb by the head and he just screamed, you fucked up, Jeff. And then just charged in with that wicked elbow and it looked like he was going to hit the blackout. And then once again, the tour of the islands, he did it on Bad Luck Fale last uh, episode that he was on of the G1. And now he did it to uh, Lance Archer. Like, the tour of the islands, I don't care that it's just a glorified, like, kind of, like, scoop slam, power slam move. It's impressive as hell. And I think it would finish anyone. And when it hits and he literally bounces with them, it's just so cool to see. It's just these huge dudes that Jeff Cobb tosses around like they're nothing. But, yeah, Jeff Cobb gets the win. 
Uh, oh, did I not write down? I didn't write down the time. Oh, there I did. I can read it now. The pen or the light was shining and I couldn't see the minutes. 11 minutes and 37 seconds. I gave this match three and a half stars. I gave this match 3.75 stars. I thought it was a great way to open the show. And like I said, it was Lance Archer's best showing of the tournament so far. Yeah, I thought it was also a great way to open G1 action for night nine here. But let us continue on to our second match of night nine. This came to us from D Block. And this was Rockard Juice Robinson taking on the headhunter Yoshihashi. Yeah, this match was actually better than expected. Uh, maybe you're right about uh, Tai Chi, and you're also right about what Brett said about Yoshihashi. I do think he's improved, and they put that over on commentary too, like how much he's improved, even though. He is historically the worst wrestler in the G1 tournament. <laughs> it's hilarious that they keep bringing that up as well. Why does I love he keep it. on entering? Why does he keep on entering? He's so bad. Yeah. And um, I I love that it started with the juice not even like I my first note is Rock Hard waits for no bell. Because before the bell could even hit, Juice Robinson once again is just on top of Yoshihashi Yoshihashi. And just assaults the fuck out of him to begin this match. Yeah, that's why I wrote to Juice attacks for the bell. Uh, action moves to the outside because Juice had like control of the match because of that. And he rips off the padding on the outside and he covers one of the announcers. And the announcers is just like trapped with yeah. this padding on. And I don't know. And Juice yelled at him. He'll <laughs> stay there. Yeah, he told him to go fuck himself. And then. Uh, Juice attempted to do a powerbomb on the concrete, but uh, Yoshihashi countered into Hurricane Rana into the post, and Juice almost didn't get in time to break the count and got in at 19. Uh, then Yoshihashi started to take control, and he chopped the living shit out of Juice. Oh, like, my he God. probably got in, like, 40 chops in, like, yeah. a minute. Like, he just kept on chopping them. And like, yeah. And yeah, Juice would swing and miss, and then Yoshi would put him back in the corner. And, I mean, you could like, see chop, it. Chop, 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 chop. <laughs> yeah, Juice's chest was bright blood red. Like, I mean, it was – he got chopped to shit. And then uh, Juice got involved with the referee, and he shoved him out of the way, which then uh, he got rolled up by Yoshihashi because he wasn't, like, focusing on the match. And he almost lost the match there. It was a really close, like, two-count. Well, yeah, and the the ref bounced off the ropes and actually pushed him back because he pushed him so hard against the ropes. Earl Hebner, Triple H style. Yep. Um, And then... uh, The finish uh, was the left hand of God to the Pulp Friction, but it was countered into a Dragon Suplex to a Lariat. Then uh, Yoshihashi hit Karma for the win. Yeah. Yoshi, once again, gets his uh, first win of the tournament, goes to two points. Juice gets nothing and stays at two points. And Uh, David Finley has more points than Juice Robinson at this point. That he does. I gave uh, this match went 12 minutes and 16 seconds. I gave this match 3.25 stars. 2.5 heady again. 3.5 stars. I liked this match. I liked... 
They gave it an extra 2.5 because of the surprise of Yoshiashi winning because I wasn't really expecting that. Um, this match was a fun match, and I wasn't super excited going in, but yeah, it left me very pleased at the end. And in my notes for left-handed God, I wrote LHG, and I had to figure out for a second, what does that mean? What does LHG stand for? I won't lie. I've just now been getting back into New Japan, so I haven't seen as much of Rock Hard, Juice Robinson, and Bullet Club. But I'm going to be 100% honest. I liked Juice back in the day. I am a much bigger Juice fan. He is great in this role. I love him as this, like, complete prick. I don't know why. I think he's great. I love everything about it. All right, though. We keep on moving to our next match from Night 9. And this came to us from B-Block. And this was the one of the most interesting matches on the card because commentary, the minute that we moved on from the Juice match, started putting over how this wasn't going to be a match. This was a sham. This was bullshit. And they just were talking a whole bunch of shit right away because this was the crown jewel. Chase Owens, who one of my favorite lines from Tom Lawler goes, should be the crown jewel, but he's the cubic zirconian. Chase Dare Chase Owens tonight. Thought that was funny. Taking on the catalyst himself, the switchblade, Jay White. Yeah, this is the match. This is the match that is my favorite of the tournament. That yeah. Um this match was awesome. Yeah, like you said, they were talking about how this wasn't gonna be a match. And right away it starts out with uh Jay getting uh envelope full of money from Gato and handing it to Chase. And Chase opens it up and is about to count. He's like, no, 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 count it after the match. He takes it from him and he gives it to the ring announcer and he's Dave and he's just like, it's fine. We're fine. He's like, just let's do this. Um, so then but Chase is like, no, 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 no. I got to count this. He goes out there, pulls out two bills and the rest is just all paper. And then Jay's just like, what? He's like, put the money in there. <laughs> it was He's so like, funny. What's going on? And he started blaming Ave. And like, <laughs> like, what's going on? And so then he's like, fine. He's like, I promise you, when this is over, I'll pay you or whatever. So like, fine, whatever. Um, and then they do the finger poke of Doom Spot. And I'm like, oh, this is pretty sweet. This actually is a lot funner than Hogan and Ash. And he does it. He falls down. Jay's like in about to pin him. And he just stands there. He's like, no, I'm not going to do that. He's like, I know what's going to happen. You're going to try to roll me up and steal this victory. I'm not doing that. <laughs> and so then uh, they get up. They agree no tricks. They shake hands. <laughs> uh, then Jay White tries to put him in the Blade Runner. And like then Gato's just like, come on. just He's going to lay down for you. He's going to lay down. And Jay White just gets really like upset. And he attacks Chase from behind. Which then Chase gets pissed off because he probably was going to lay down for him. And then he's like, no. He's like, nope. He's like, we're wrestling now. He's like, this is, this is going to be a match. Um, and then right away when they start wrestling, Chase hits uh, a C-trigger. And I thought the match was over. I was I a huge C-trigger. Yeah. What? It was a huge C-trigger. I know. It was like, it was a Kenny Omega V-trigger. Yeah. Like, I thought it was over. And like, he had like a millisecond left before like he kicked out i even wrote in my notes like i thought it was over um i don't really like the spots after this where they're both conflicted like 
Crisis uh, of Chase Conscience. Is do the package power driver, but Gato's like, no, you can't do that. On, On the, the outside, outside even. Yeah, yeah, I know. And so Chase is like, yeah, you're right. And it gives like Jay that much of an advantage. But then even Jay, like, he's about to do some stuff and then he like thinks twice about it. And then eventually he just says, fuck it. And just like starts like pummeling him and beating the shit out of him. Uh, I, I mean, it was Chase's own fault that Jay's the one because Chase was the one hitting big moves right away because after like Jay had a first crisis of conscience, then Jay, or Chase hit that huge super kick followed by that shining wizard for another close two count. Like I really thought this match was going to be over in the first like five minutes or like 10 minutes, but with Chase Owens winning. And I was in a state of shock watching this match. I was like, holy fuck, as much as even the commentary was, because then the commentary was so behind Chase Owens winning. They were like, come on, Chase, get him. And it was awesome. That spot in the middle of the ring where he set up, Chase set up for the package power driver again. And Gato tops up on the apron and distracts him long enough. He was going to hit it. But he tracks him long enough for Jay to get out. Um, then, but it didn't really matter because Chase still had control of the match. Went to hit the package power driver one more time. Uh, Jay gets out of it again, but he counters into the Styles Clash. And when he rolled him over, once again, I wrote in my notes, thought it was over again. Yeah. Like, Jay White, like, didn't have any time left to kick out. Like, those were the perfect near falls. I thought twice in this match that Chase Owens won. And I would have been extremely happy if that would have happened because yeah. it would have been so surprising. Dude, the um, C-triggers he was popping off in this match yeah. did look like vintage Kenny Omega. Some of them where he did like the standing one. Like he even had the full-on like Kenny Omega arms back, like knee at his like chin. It was wild. And like, yeah, I wrote for the finish. He had a furious C-triggers. He hit two and he went in for the third. And... uh Jay White like ducked it and grabbed him and hit the Blade Runner and got the three. It was this match, in my opinion, was the best match. Like even like the shenanigans helped it be better, but with it told this underdog story for Chase Owens that wasn't there before the shenanigans. Like it, uh, this match was just so good in every single way. I loved it so much. Like Jay White is the best wrestler in the world right now. Like, he can pull off anything. He is Kenny Omega of five years ago, for real. This match was so good. I gave this, I, I'm not even going to let you talk yet, because I'm going to give my rating. It's the highest one so far. I gave it a 4.25. Wow. Uh, no, I, I completely agree. I loved the shenanigans. These are the kind of shenanigans I love. They were, they made sense storyline-wise. They were absolutely on point. The acting and the just way everything played out in this match made complete sense as it just kept building and building to being like an actual match because they you could see both the crisis of conscience throughout the whole thing until it wasn't and then they were both just having a match and it was a great match and it really looked like Chase Owens was going to win but yes Blade Runner for the win Jay White goes to 6 points Chase Owens stays at 2 13 minutes 12 seconds if this match would have probably gone another 5 minutes Maybe it had been a main event match, and I know why it wasn't, but whatever. I gave this match four stars anyways. I just, it couldn't be my favorite match of the tournament because I still liked Jay White. Uh, I mean, um, sorry, what am I trying to think of? I still liked 
Switch Blade. No, fuck it. I don't care. I still liked other matches better than this. It's it's a four-star match. I can't remember what match I'm trying to think of right now. <laughs> I just got Jay White on the brain. <laughs> like I said, Jay White. Then I said Switch Blade. I, what would you say your star rating was? Four stars. Okay. Okay. We've been off 0.25 for all three matches so far. Yeah, it's a little weird. Just I'm I'm right under the where you are for your rating. But let's see if that continues. Because we got our fourth match, not the main event though, because as I said, five matches on night nine. And this match once again comes to us from A block, the Monsters block. And this match was Bad Luck Fale, the Rogue General, taking on the Rainmaker, Kazuchika Okada. I mean, I think it's safe to say that out of all five matches, this is probably the worst one. I mean, the the first three were bangers, and the last match was also a banger. Yeah. This one was just what it is. Like, I like the fact that Bad Luck Fale had the like advantage, record advantage against Okada, which is awesome. Yep. But like, you knew the whole time that Okada was going to win this match. You just didn't feel like you were going to get that surprise. And Bad Luck Fale came right out. Like, first Okada like brought it to him because he knew he had to come out fast because he had a tired, like he starts getting beat down. That's how he got beat the other times, but it didn't matter. Like Paul, a just like shook him off and he just dominated like the entire match until he was just too tired to like do anything. Uh, my, one of my favorite spots was uh a trying to win by a count out and he threw Okada out the ring and he guarded the ropes and wouldn't let him back in. Yep. I really like that part. But uh, other than that, it was pretty much it was almost like the Jeff Cobb match where Bad Luck Fall A was like in control majority of the match, but just tired himself out and ended up losing to the money clip. Uh, yeah, no, I had a few uh, parts of this match I really enjoyed. I, You know what I first really noticed, though, in this match? And I, I think I noticed it every time he faces Bad Luck Fall A. Bad Luck Fall A is a big fucking dude, but... Okada's also just a tall motherfucking dude. Like, when Okada stands next to Bad Luck Fale, he's not that much shorter than him. And it weirds me out every time I see them in the ring together. But I did really like that, as the commentary put over wonderfully, that Okada starts fast against Fale to try and win these matches because otherwise he's got to keep press the advantage or Fale takes him down. And Fale did have control a lot of this match. I loved the diving spear that he administered to Okada. Like, you cut Okada in half with it, and I thought he might get the win with it because you don't see Fale do a spear very often. He, you know, went for the grenade, had it countered into a drop kick, and that led to the end because then we go to, he goes for the bad luck fall. Okada counters into that neck breaker, into the money clip. This match was 11 minutes and 32 seconds. Okada, still perfect, goes to six points. Fale stays at four points. And I gave this match three stars. I gave it 2.75 stars, keeping on uh, track with the .25 off. But there's no way they could have had Fale win this match because that would have given Fale six points. And Okada would have had four points. And he would have been chasing bad fuck all. Or, Bad luck, Fale. Bad luck, Fale. Bad fuck all. And also with Fale having the tiebreaker, he would have he would have won the block. So there's no way they could have had Okada lose this match. Oh. At worst, 
it would have been a draw. There's no way that he was going to give up two points to Bad Luck Fale and the tiebreaker. It wouldn't have made sense. Yeah, I, I, I agree. No, Okada had to win. But it would have been crazy. All right, though. Let's move on now to the main event of Night 9. And this was C-Block action. And this was, you know, basically a blood feud. Had to main event this night because this was of Bullet Club slash the House of Torture. Evil in all capital letters, which also hilariously had commentary. How did we not see that he was going to turn on us all? His name is Evil in all capital letters for emphasis. Taking on Los Ignorables de Japón's leader, Tetsuya Naito. Yeah, I like the beginning before Naito even got his suit off. He did the tranquilo pose and Evil came up behind him and did too sweet and then tried to put him in everything is evil and countered and Naito was like, what the fuck? And like, threw him out of the ring. Uh, then took off all his stuff. They were outside and they were uh, fighting the outside and Dick Togo was getting involved. Um, and that the referee um, distracted and they got a chair out. Uh, Evil put the chair on Naito's head and took another chair and then hit a home run by hitting the chair into Naito's chair on his head. And yeah, so then the referee, like, Right after that, gets distracted again, and then Naito puts the chair on Evil's head, and this time Red Shoes is distracted because of Dick Togo, and he doesn't want to hear any of it, and he's covering his ears and everything. I thought that was a good touch, and so while he's covering his ears, he does the same thing, hits the home run on Evil, which I thought was it was a nice touch. Um like they get back in the ring, evil hits darkness falls for a near fall. Uh there was a running destino that evil kicked out of. Like there was a lot of near falls in this match. Uh, I just wrote Nido, big move after big move after big move. Like this was wild. They were just hitting each other with home run shots, not to reference once again the chair shots to begin with, but over and over. There was a table draped on the outside of the barricade in the ring where Naito pile drive evil through and yeah they both like those tables the Japanese tables were no joke Naito Naito was bleeding the table evil literally landed, exploded like, on his head. it was yeah. one of the like most like explosive tables I've ever seen like it was wild like usually those tables just like snap in half the thing like exploded with the force that he pile drove him through that table with it was nuts and then they had a back and forth in the ring. Uh, evil went for everything as evil and was countered. And like, I think he was like tossed into the ring. And then uh, Naito set up for Destino, hit it, and got the victory. And Naito finally got his two points. Yeah. Got a win finally. Finally hit the Destino. And I thought for a second it was going to end just like the Tana match did, where he was going to go for Destino. And Evil was either going to hit everything as Evil, which is a quick counter to Destino anyways, or it was going to be another roll-up. I didn't think he was actually going to do it, and then he did. And then on commentary, Kevin Kelly 100% is the biggest Naito mark in the world. Because just the whole time, you, you could just feel it in his voice. He was so happy that fucking Naito finally got his first two points. 
Uh, 24 oh, minutes, 54 seconds. Longest match of the tournament so far. And I gave this match 3.75 stars. Naito has two points. Evil has two points. C-Block is wide open still. Would you believe if my ranking was 0.25 under yours? Because it is. I gave it 3.5. I felt like I wanted more and expected a little bit better. I don't know. I felt, I know they've had their matches already since like Evil's left LIJ. I don't know. I just, even though this match was really good, I was hoping for like four and a half star classic. You know, I wanted, like, I hyped this match up in my head. Like, this one's going to be awesome because of the blood feud. And just, I don't know. I, I think I ruined it for myself by doing that. But, no man, I 100% agree with you. I thought this was going to be a way better match. I thought this was going to be one of the matches of the tournament. I thought that this, you know, Evil has been not my favorite wrestler since the whole House of Torture thing has started. But, you know, for the Naito matches, they've been really good. So I thought this one was going to be. And yeah, this is another match where I've seen him do way better. So that's why it only got 3.75. I expected at least a four star, at least a four star match out of these guys. And yeah, definitely did not get that. But you know that Naito is going to run the table here on out. And like, I feel like they're going to have those play in matches. Like, I feel like they wouldn't have brought those up on commentary. I know we didn't talk about this. I don't remember if it was night eight or nine. But Kevin Kelly brought up like there's playing matches. So if the tiebreakers, like if there is no tiebreaker, then the night before the finals, or the night before they have the semifinals, is uh, they have a playing match. Yep. And there is a possibility for up to four playing matches. I have a feeling that there's going to be one playing match somewhere, and it might be Naito because I think he's going to win out. And like, yeah. So, that also intrigues me that, like, you get these extra matches possibly. And I hope that we do at least get one and make it feel like almost like the finals. It'll make it feel like a one game playoff for like baseball. We'll try to get into, you know, or like game 163, trying to win your division. Yeah. No, 100%. I didn't know because they didn't bring it up in the beginning part if there was going to be playing, like, playing matches or whatever you want to call them uh, at the beginning. And I really hope there would be. Because even when I set up my bracket that we did, once again, shout out Azar. Thank you so much for letting us use your amazing bracket that you did all the work on. I was like, when I figured out like the ties and everything, I was like, man, I don't know if it'll really happen. But if it was possible, I would really hope that this would be a match before the tie breaks. Because I think in, I think I have Tomatonga and Jay White tied at the end with no tiebreaker over each other because they both will lose one match and such. So I was hoping they'd have two matches in the tournament because it's Jay White and Tamatanga and they have the whole Bullet Club feud. And you know I'm a Bullet Club mark. So I'm really jacked for a play in matches. And I really hope there is at least one. But hopefully two. Yeah, that's all we got. You want to know my... I tallied my record. I don't know if you tallied your record. I did not. So through night nine... I am 25 and 12. Hey, man, you're over five, way over 500 kind of for wins to losses. That's impressive. Yeah, after the first round, I didn't do very good. But yeah, last couple of rounds have treated me pretty well. Nice. I will have to tally my record before next week. 
And yes, next week will be a huge G1 uh, recap for us because we're going to be recapping six. That's right. Six nights of action, which means we will have 30 matches 30 to talk matches, about. Yeah. 30 G1 matches to talk about. So strap in, folks. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We're not going to be talking about anything else next week. I say that now, and something's going to blow up in pro wrestling or the world, and we're going to have to talk about that next week. Hopefully on Wednesday morning, though, so, like, it's fresh, and we can, like, be the first ones to talk about it. We can hope. But, yes, that will wrap up. Hashtag TRT. So, monkeys in the back. Hit that sound effect. All right, Diesel. Well, I guess it's final thoughts time, and uh, so we can get on out of here for the night. So what you got for the week? Final thoughts. On Friday, I'm going to uh, the Brewers game, and... I bought a special ticket where I get to meet Robin Young. So I'm actually pretty stoked about that. And the Brewers are playing the Reds. It seems like I've seen the Reds more than any other team. But uh, hopefully this year they'll get the victory. Because we went last year's team play the Reds with the Brain Buster Boys. And they were not so lucky to win that game. But we'll see. Um, other than that. I think it's going to be a pretty chill weekend. Um, I don't think we have anything else planned. It's just uh, now we're into August. Uh, it's my birthday month. It's your birthday month. Um, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, for my final thoughts, this is actually my only weekend in August that we don't have something going on. So I think this is going to be our chill weekend. Hopefully we'll just, you know, be doing stuff around the house. Besides that, still kind of trying to file through all of the Comic-Con uh, trailers and such and all the news that came out of Comic-Con about all the Marvel stuff because, oh God, did they drop a lot of stuff. So one of these weeks when we don't have as much wrestling to talk, we're definitely going to cover all of the cool stuff that's coming out for Marvel soon because Phase 5 and Phase 6 are going to be absolutely nuts. Uh, sidebar. sidebar, ding. You didn't really talk about this much, but um, since you watched the inside outtakes by Bo Burnham, how like happy were you with the end when he had all the upcoming like specials, like he did Marvel yeah. style and all the names and stuff like that? I I laughed really hard, and I mean, I thought the last one forty. <laughs> yep. Just the fact that uh, Bo Burnham found a way in the inside outtakes to rip down every popular franchise or popular product or anything else, basically, in this world that is popular or used by all of us in that, like, hour and 19 minutes. It was just mind-bogglingly good. And once again, Bo Burnham is a generational talent that probably deserves a lot more respect than he's even given. Agreed. Sorry for interrupting you. Oh, no. Totally fine. Yeah, besides uh, that, Allison and I are, well, Allison's watching Game of Thrones, and I'm watching here and there. Once we get to the later seasons, I will really kind of lock in. But I know these first few seasons are very close to the book, so I'm popping in and out when I know there's good stuff coming. And Enjoy the episodes you watch. You definitely, uh, you're definitely planning on watching the Red Wedding episode, obviously. Uh, obviously. I have to see her reaction. 
And we're soon coming to the part where Eddard Stark is going to lose his head. So I also have to see Allison's reaction to that. Because it's really shocking. It's the yeah. main character. He's yeah. the main character and then he dies. And then it's Sean, it Sean friggin' Bean, man. Sean Bean. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I think you can uh, get it out of here. Yeah. Well, Diesel, do some social media stuff and we'll do that. Oh, yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Diesel underscore VFTR. You can follow Chad on Twitter at Chad's underscore mine or at VFTR2PO. You can follow us on Facebook or Instagram by searching View from the Top Rope Official. We're on YouTube at View from the Top Rope. Of you from Top Rope at gmail.com is our email address. Follow Visionaries Global Media on Twitter at Viz Global Media. Visionaries Global Media at gmail.com is where you'll want to send your podcasts in to get reviewed and added to the network, and you'll be heard on such po- podcasting platforms such as Podknife, Potable, iHeartRadio, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Um, then there's also SoundCloud and Stitcher. And just so, so many others. And a huge round of applause to Diesel. For the first time in weeks, doing quite well on that little bit right there. I stumbled at the end. Got a little too cocky at the end once I got to the podcast platforms. and But up until then, I did pretty well. I was I was impressed. I was sitting here waiting for you to screw up. I won't lie. But you didn't do that that much. Just a small stumble this week. I like your style. As always, though, we thank you all so much for listening to this madness that we call a podcast. Hopefully, we've gotten you through that boring work day, that workout that we're so proud of you for finishing, or whatever else you happen to be doing while you're listening to this podcast. As always, I have been Chad. He has been Diesel. Please, everyone out there, remember, be kind to each other. There's no reason to be a dick. We're all just humans trying to survive on this blue spinning orb we call Earth. Remember to like, comment, share, and subscribe to this podcast on whatever podcasting platform you are using. So more and more people can hear our dulcet tones, our wild opinions, and also just, you know, hear this message. Because you know what? We want to just make everyone happy. So we want more people to hear us. So like, comment, share, and subscribe. But always remember, above all else, to climb up high and enjoy VFTR 2.0.